Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Imagine a place of your own in your name. A place where all your stuff is. Where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia housing and see how home helps everyone. Have you ever wondered why you're not making a podcast? Maybe because you think it's too hard. Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I mean, you're immediately in the podcast game. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So right now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Just go to A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M and join me on Anchor. Hey, it's Jim. I'm so happy to announce the production on Season 4 of Euphemet is now in full swing. And the first episode will debut on Thursday, March 11th. A new season with new episodes every other week. What this means is that if you like listening to Night Drift, you'll need to find it at its now new home on its own feed. Just search for Night Drift wherever you listen to podcasts. But until then, enjoy this bonus episode. presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. 
I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. Tonight, a conversation with Steve McDaniel, the founder of Skyhub, a technology company that has created a new open source project for capturing UFO UAP sightings and uses machine learning technology that analyzes unidentified objects in our skies in real time. Have we found the ultimate civilian UFO tracker? Plus, panelists Darcy Staniforth and Ryan Singer, right now on this new edition of Night Drift, presented by Euphemed. We have two co-hosts. They're good friends of mine, stand-up actor, host, creator of the podcast, Me and Paranormal You, and paranormal researcher Ryan Singer is here with us tonight. Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be uh, joining the Night Drift uh, crew as a co-host tonight. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see where this conversation goes tonight. I'm, I'm just, I'm already like getting juiced up over here. Me neither. I, and I knew you would. I knew that would be your disposition with this show. So, very excited about that. And joined once again by my very frequent co-host Darcy Staniforth. She is an academic writer, performer, and paranormal investigator. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thanks for having me again, Jim. Always a pleasure to join the night drift. Appreciate it. We are drifting further into the night once again, aren't we? That was so, that's so geeky, <laughs> but I had to just do it. It just felt I like, like it. I think it's late moment. night radio. It's very late night radio to just there be like go. drifting further into the night here. And Jim, I, I do have to say, it's like, I mean, you say it's a little bit geeky, but I mean, I hope you take this the right way, but it's pretty on brand for you. I mean, it's like... <laughs> Good. I love it. Like in the best way possible. If I just, you know, sort of adopt like a leather vest and a cigarette habit, I think that's all I need for this. And then kick it to the blue oyster cult right after this. Uh, (laughs) And our guest tonight, very excited to chat with Steve McDaniel, software developer during the day and apparently also at night, actively developing free UFO and UAP tracking software called Skyhub. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on Night Drift by Euphemed. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, and I'm always excited to talk about UFOs and science, and happy to talk about Skyhub. So good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being here. I mean, we're we're just really excited to have more scientific minds involved within UAP and UFO research, especially those in which that can develop and know their way around uh, computer systems and technology. But I think first of all, for uh, the audience that perhaps is uninitiated, can you explain to us what Skyhub is? Yes. So, um, you know, I can give a little bit of my background and I can kind of Give the 30-second intro to who I am. Sure, please. So um, I started my career in naval intelligence. So I joined the Navy when I was uh, a kid, basically. And I spent five years in naval intelligence. And then I spent a total of 16 years with the National Security Agency working for defense contractors like Northrop Grumman, Raytheon. Kind of worked my way around the Baltimore-Washington area and... Over the years, I've worked on lots of software and hard, hardware development. And um, about a year and a half, two years ago, I started working on more unclassified projects and, and doing software and hardware development so I could work from home, basically, so I didn't have to go into an office. Mm-hmm. So during around that time, I started getting more interested in UFOs, especially because of TTSA and Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo came out publicly and said, hey, UFOs are real. So I was kind of like, what? And I, I'm a bit of a skeptic, right? 
So I started getting more interested in the topic, but ufology is really difficult. Um, yeah, I'm sure you're aware it's rife with speculation and lots of very strong opinions sure. and very little data and evidence. And, yeah. and um, decades I, and decades and decades of it, right? Yes. And I'm a bit of a skeptic, right? I'm, I'm skeptical of just about everything. So with Skyhub, the idea was to take a completely scientific approach to UFOs. So I think there's probably credible evidence. There's something that we don't understand, but I don't actually think there's enough data to come to a conclusion on what it is. So the idea with Skyhub was kind of approached and said, how do we really solve this problem? And the answer was we build a global observational science platform to collect data about UFOs. So we started building a box that can be deployed full of sensors and cameras and machine learning and AI that can essentially aggregate all of this data from across the globe and publish it publicly in the cloud. And we've actually been working with Chris Cogswell and other scientists to try to get academics and experts involved in access to this data. So we've actually had some great conversations with organizations like SETI and and uh, other like meteorologists are also interested in the data. Hmm. So it's it's been very interesting um, to see how people come together and work to build this. And to date, um, we have people like Corey Gaspard is one of our main developers that has helped basically build our cloud infrastructure so we can deploy this globally. We've got other individuals like Richard Hoff that designed, he's a professional fabricator and designer. Hmm. And he designed a case for the Skyhub uh, tracker. So it's a lot of people from across the globe that have come together to build this thing. All of us live in different states or countries. So it's kind of a global community that's putting this together. Yeah, right. And, and right out of the gate. And I have to commend you on the design of the tracker itself. Very uh, Stanley Kubrick. And yeah, <laughs> I think that was all apropos. Richard. Yeah. <laughs> so what is, what is Skyhub's ultimate goal? You know, sort of what, why was it established? So the, the tracker that we developed is sort of a means to an end, right? So really, we want to take UFOs to the next level and build a body of evidence that can't be ignored. So the idea is any, any real scientist is going to be skeptical, right? But confronted with enough evidence, they'll they'll take action and actually embark on like a real legit, legitimate um, scientific inquiry into UFOs. And that's really the end goal, right? You want to get mainstream science to take this serious. Yeah, And th- that's, that's essentially what our goal is. The tracker is just merely a tool to achieve that goal. I'm curious about when it comes to the launch point of being skeptical from, from the outset, do do you think that it, at some time that it is always beneficial or behooves the the investigator or the researcher to be entrenched in that position or because there's got to be part part of you that is you know obviously that you're here or even having this conversation is the like the whimsical believer side right um that just was never able to silence its whispers uh, one might say. I, so I'm curious on like what event maybe really, really hooked you in. I would say, I would, I would definitely say I've seen things that I couldn't explain, right? 
So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I, I saw a UFO or anything otherworldly. Um, but I, for me, I love science and I, I love a good mystery. And there's the UFO phenomenon has happened over such a long period of time. And even some cases are really well documented. So it's kind of like you sit here and wonder if, if we have documented cases, why as a species do we actually just ignore that? So mm. the universe is a huge place. Um, we're a tiny little speck in that universe. And people are just like, oh, that can't, that can't be possible. Like, no, actually it can. Um, there's a lot that we don't know. And, you know, so I'm, I'm up for a good mystery. If, and you know what a really good outcome would be? If, if we do this for years and deploy thousands of trackers, and we come up with a dead end and we have a body of evidence that explains away most UFO sightings, in my mind, that's a win. We've, we've furthered scientific knowledge in, in a direction, maybe, maybe a direction some don't want, but it's a good outcome. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, considering, considering your past uh, with the Navy and with uh, sort of the, the, the national security apparatus, that's an interesting statement about, you know, perhaps there's some that don't want it to, to be shown, don't right. want it to be a real thing. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on what that perspective may, may be? So it's interesting because um, what is a UFO, right? Um, my perspective on that is, is we really don't know, right? Um, potentially it could be something um, – really advanced and anomalous, um, something we've never seen before. It might be able, we might be able to explain it naturally. It might have a prosaic explanation. Um, when I approach this, I try to keep a completely open mind. I try not to favor any particular outcome. Um, I've tried to keep somewhat of an open mind and tried to make a decision that I will follow the data where it leads me. So mm-hmm. as we collect data and evidence, um, I'll try to stick to that and try not to deviate. So it's, we'll see how that works out in the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Darcy, that approach is, is, is so important, right? And I mean, we, we see it across the board, not within sort of um, uh, the best UAP UFO investigators and researchers, but across the board in terms of the paranormal. And a lot of the, say, the authors that I go on and on about who implement that type of um, effective uh, scientific perspective when dealing with really this unknown uh, set of anomalies. Can you describe a little bit, Darcy, about like why that's important? You know, it's important because of the fact, and I think to what Steve was saying, right, follow what the data is showing, right? And and we've talked on on here before about having, you know, one foot in the camp of belief and one foot in the camp of skepticism, because if you're all in one camp or the other, it's going to influence everything that you're trying to discover, right? And science is still such an important, science is important and real, everyone, and it's such an important part of this. And it's really important because, you know, I think that and I know what you're saying, Steve, there are some people that don't want to be told that UFOs don't exist, but we have not even begun to fully explore. Like the more advanced our technology becomes, right. the further out we can go, like all these things. Like, I think that there's just going to be more and more and more data 
that's only going to continue to show us what we don't know. Right. But again, it's really important to have that mindset so that when we get data, we can properly evaluate it. Because if you right. throw out data sets because you're too much of a believer, then that doesn't help anyone. If you throw out data because you're too much of a skeptic, that doesn't help anyone. You've got to really be able to kind of back away, separate yourself um, from it, and be able to study it uh, in a way that allows you to truly see what's there. Because, you know, sometimes we get, as researchers, too emotionally attached to things. Right. And we're too close, right? Where you're like... Oh, I'm a little too close to that. And it, yep. it hurts me, right? I don't want to know. Um, and if UFOs, for some reason, don't... I, my joke wanted to be was like, well, if you prove UFOs don't exist, I can spend more time studying Bigfoot. But, you know, <laughs> like, but like at the same time, you know, it's it's so important collecting this data. I want data. I want science on the side of the paranormal investigator and as an academic because that only lends credibility to what we are doing. Right, exactly. And this is kind of an interesting point because I get asked this a lot. Um, obviously, pe- people are going to be critical of what we're doing. Um, and early on, um, we had people like uh, basically attack us and like come in and say like, you know, nobody's ever caught a picture of an extraterrestrial. And like, like who said this was an ET project? This is a UFO yeah. project. There's... I was like we we have no preconceived notions on for what this what this is. All we know is it's unidentified, and we're collecting data to find out what that is. So we've tried to we've tried to maintain that this is like we're not hunting for little green men. Um, we're collecting scientific data that can be studied by experts and scientists, and get academia involved. And that's really the important thing: is science matters, and there has to be a process and a control and a strict set of guidelines that we follow to do this properly. And I, hopefully people will appreciate that. And I think you bring up a really good point in that, Steve, is like so many people hear UFO and they Mm -hmm. automatically think extraterrestrial. They automatically think that it has to do with grays or tall whites or whatever, whatever alien strand you want to talk about. But as you were saying, unidentified flying object, or if you, use the term UAP, which I feel like a lot of people have tried to move to, unidentified yes. aerial phenomena, you're like, that's what we're doing. Yes. That's what we're <laughs> trying to find data on. If you're projecting all these other things, that's a different thing, but that's not what we're doing. And that's, Correct. I think that's so important for people to hear. Yep. So and we've really tried to maintain that. And, you know, I try to tell people a clear story and it's worked really well. Um, it's just amazing how many people we've gotten involved um, you know, we've got scientists and hardware designers and just enthusiasts that come along for the ride and, and help build the project and develop the community. And it's really neat to see, like our hardware designer lives in Austria and one of our guys that does all our documentation lives in Ireland. So we've got people in France. So it's really great to see people come together and build a community like this. It's amazing. And just watching it on social blow up as well in terms of all these different locations, Skyhub, this location, Skyhub, this location, it really is right out of the gate, feels very important. And I think credit to you folks for how how sort of serious you really are taking it. And I think in regards to uh, positioning yourself in, in sort of collecting data uh, upon UAP, 
is a really smart way to brand your, your yourselves. Uh, Ryan, let's bring you into the conversation here, man. You know, speaking of the power of naming, speaking of the power of identifying certain objects, you know, the idea of moving away when it comes to scientific matters from UFO as nomenclature to UAP, there is sort of like power to that move, yeah? Yeah, I'm fascinated by the movement. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can nerd out over words uh, because of all the meanings and context that we associate with words and the, the emotions that specific words will stir in other people. Uh, specifically in people that don't know the person who's speaking these words. And I have noticed a real shift away from UFO toward UAP, it seems, uh, in, in very recent times. And I think I could be mistaken on this, but I believe it was when Hillary Clinton was campaigning for president and she was on Jimmy Kimmel. I think that's when I first heard UAP. And she said something along the lines of, we call them UAPs now. And I don't know who we are necessarily, right? That's a conversation maybe for the conspiracy world uh, more so than me. But it seems like we're trying to move away from the attachments that are associated and the connotations that are associated with UFO and now move towards UAP to have maybe more credibility in the world of ufology. I mean, I don't think you want to call it UAP, uapology world. Um, (laughs) if you want to use the UAPs, uh, that just doesn't have a good ring to it. But so I'm curious if, um, what Steve's thoughts on that are regarding, is it a specific choice or does it, have you thought about it or does it even, uh, not even cross your mind when you're when you're moving forward and discussing these things to choose UAP over UFO for some of these reasons. Um, I think using UAP kind of kind of tries to get rid of some of the baggage with UFO. Um, there was so much stigma attached to just UFO, and it became all about little green men and the crash at Roswell, and there was just like this whole um, culture around UFO. And I, I do think it's good to to pursue. UAP. We actually tried to f- just use UAP when we talk about it, but the problem with UAP is it's not everybody knows what that is. But when you say UFO, they know exactly what you're talking about. So I think it'll still be more time as people accept the new nomenclature for for UFO. But I do think the UAP is a more professional, serious sounding, you know, terminology for for the UFOs. Yeah, I agree. So so how does it all work? Sky Hub. So that's a great question. So essentially, um, how we've done this is we deploy. Um, I'm kind of a tech guy, so it's going to sound a little geeky for a minute here. So we actually deploy an N- NVIDIA Jetson platform. So it's basically an embedded computing system with a built in GPU and video processing and machine learning hardware. So we deploy this in a case with a video camera and sensors. So um, the way it works is we're using a machine learning model to actually process the video stream on a GPU. So when an object flies over, it triggers the software to start recording an event. So we create something called an event, and we're capturing all the sensor data like GPS location, time, uh, temperature, humidity, magnetometer, gyroscope, IMU. Um, you name it, we're collecting it. 
So we collect all this data and it gets uploaded to the cloud in a central repository. So right now we have about a dozen of these units that are sending a ton of video and sensor data up to the cloud and aggregating all of this data together so a researcher can go in and look at magnetic anomalies or um, strange uh, like videos of, of an object in different locations or uh, you know, weird dips in pressure or temperature. Uh, any, any number of readings, they can go and look and say, give me all the readings for this region or for this geographic area. Or let's say they want to look at the 40th parallel across the entire globe and say, give me all the readings across the 40th parallel and let's see if there's something interesting there. So that's essentially how it works. Um, the, the Jetson platform is the brain of the operation and it's aggregating all this data and shipping it right to the cloud. So it's in its all real time. So um, as soon as we collect it, it's on its way to the cloud and you can essentially watch the entire system uh, like a heartbeat. That's crazy. That's crazy. So it's it's very neat. I mean, one of one of the things that has always consistently been a challenge for UFO investigation is uh, those researchers and investigators having uh, timely information, being able to investigate as things are occurring, because constantly it's situations where you know these objects occur, one person sees it, maybe that's it. It's an anecdotal story, and that's it. Right. What you're telling me now is so interesting because it because it really does paint this picture of a world where the sky uh, is monitored for this activity and right. the, the normal stuff is very much more because of the, it's in one environment. It, uh, we're able to understand what objects are and what objects aren't in, in, in terms of terrestrial objects, which I find right. is also something so confusing and frustrating with cell phone footage. Right. Right. Um, is that a plane? Is that what you're telling me also is that uh, I assume that because all of this is uh, geo based, that you can track what is happening and what is reported with the FAA, for example. Right. And, and what planes are, hey, that is, you know, a 747 that, you know, departed from Boeing Field. Right. Right. That's stunning. And. I think the fact that you're doing this uh, with open source as well, and right. correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the the data that is being collected is actually available for researchers to look into, correct? Correct. And I can talk about that aspect a little bit. So yeah, please. one of our core goals was we had to make this available to people. We had to make it cost effective, and we had to make it easy for people to join the community. So all of the code that I've written I release for free under an MIT license. Anybody can take it and do anything they want with it. Um, the data that we produce in all the trackers is actually licensed under a Creative Commons license and is free to the public and for academics. The only uh, clause in there, we do not allow commercial use for the data because we do not want people to take that data and, and monetize the data set. Right. Um, we want people to use it for research. So... All of that data is uploaded to the cloud. We are currently working on making that portal available to researchers so they can come in and analyze and query that data and you know, popular uh, analytic tools like Elasticsearch and Kibana and um, other 3D modeling tools. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're the, the grateful dead of, uh, of the uh, research, the UAP research world. <laughs> I mean, that is really cool. 
it's it's been quite a journey. Um, a lot of people have been involved in this, and uh, we're hoping. Um, we're actually gearing up for a version one release. Uh, you know, we always miss deadlines, and we missed our deadline, but um, we're a, a matter of weeks away. We're just polishing things up. So, um, after we get that version one out, my top priority is going to be getting that portal available to the public, so they can come check out live UFO data, and. Uh, basically see what it's all about. And I think the visualizations and the, the videos and the analytics that people can see will really paint a clear picture on what our goal really is. Exactly. I think you're right. On your website right now, uh, on skyhub.org, uh, you have a few videos posted, uh, yes. recent tracker events. So can you describe to us what we're seeing here and what happened on May 27th of this year? Yes. So... We had a tracker deployed on top of a high-rise in Houston, uh, in Houston, Texas. Um, it was a video of a slow-moving object in the sky that stopped, um, and it stayed stationary and turned around and moved the other direction. Hmm. And um, it's, it, you know, it could be a drone. Um, we had some individuals check out FAA data to see if there was any flights or drones that um, had a record of being there. Um, we came up short, so we're not certain exactly what that was. But this is the kind of data that you want, right? So you can't find any flight data for it. You can't find any FAA records for it. Um, you have an object making non-ballistic movements, um, which is difficult for a helicopter and airplane. Um, it would it would be possible to do if you're having a her- helicopter, maybe a drone. Um, but it's one of those things you come up short. And this this happened on a very early prototype of the system. And as as we move forward, we're going to have more sensor data and location data to back up these kinds of events. And one very important thing here, as we get more trackers in cities, um, if we have at least three trackers close enough where they can see the same object in the sky, we can actually start doing fun calculations and triangulating objects. Mm. So it gets more interesting. Um, and we can do stuff like that. Um, one thing that is a future plan is actually having a pan, tilt, and zoom camera that will be paired up with this fisheye camera. And as the fisheye detects objects, the pan, tilt, and zoom will zoom in on the object and track it across the sky. Oh, man. And we'll also be able to track these objects between multiple trackers, and we can track the same object from different trackers in the same geographical area. How crazy That's is that going so to be? That's so cool. So... Those are the things that we are working towards. We'll be right back with more with Steve McDaniel right after this. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Imagine a place of your own in your name. A place where all your stuff is. Where there's a dinner table and a family around it. Virginia Housing makes it possible for thousands across the Commonwealth with our special homeownership programs, including loans, grants, and free classes. Because when we help people buy homes, their communities thrive. Click to learn more about Virginia Housing and see how home helps everyone. Hello, Night Drift listeners. This is Ryan Singer, host of Me and Paranormal You and one of the creators of Crystallize. What is Crystallize? Crystallize is the world's first crystal identification app coming to a phone near you very, very soon. The waiting list is live now. Crystallize.app backslash early access or follow on Instagram or Twitter at Crystallize app. And that's Crystal E-Y-E-S app. And why is it called Crystal Eyes? Because we're going to be able to take photos of the crystals that you have forgotten and the app will tell you what it is. The Shazama crystals, baby. We are so excited about this. You're going to have a personal collection section. You're going to have a database with over 300 crystals to be able to learn and find information. And our favorite part, we are going to be connecting you with retailers, vendors, and other organizations, along with breaking news about ethically sourced crystals. It's time to feel good about feeling good and no longer buy stones that are meant for healing when they've been sourced from harm. Oh, we are so excited. Join the waiting list today to get one month free of premium features just by signing up. Crystallize.app backslash early access. Now let's get back to Night Drift with Jim Perry. Real quick before we get to the conversation, I wanted to let you guys know about this new feature in the Spotify app. If you go on to a Euphemet episode with a question, you can now comment or answer those questions right within the Spotify app. So check it out. I'm going to have one set up for this episode as well as the last episode. Use it. Answer the question. Tell your story. Let us know. And now back to the conversation. From the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Well, you talk about like how how sort of problematic drones are in in this line of work, and it it appears to me that um, based on consistent, repeated data that you pull from these, you'll essentially before even the pan and tilt shift cameras are available, you'll be able to start. Uh, and especially in terms of triangulation, be able to start figuring out if these things are drones or not. Oh, definitely. Um, and I think that's where really the machine learning is going to come in. So 
there's so many data scientists and machine learning experts. I'm not one. I've I've done machine learning and data stuff, but I'm not a statistician. I'm not a data scientist. Um, so as, as these people train machine learning models like Google and Amazon and Facebook and release them, we can actually take their, their, their models and apply them to our problem. And we, mm. can, we can enrich those models with our own data that we collect from Skyhub and actually start improving our detection. And really what it's about is filtering out all the known objects, right? Now, we don't want a bunch of pictures of butterflies and birds and planes and helicopters. Um, there's value in that. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's good for research. So you definitely save that metadata, but um, you're looking for truly unknowns. So machine learning is going to help us drive us there. Unfortunately, um, we have some data science and machine learning experts um, from large Fortune 500 companies that are actually helping us work towards improving uh, that capability. So I'm excited to see where that leads us. How are you deciding where, or I mean, maybe it's not deciding, it's maybe it's more about people letting you place the hubs there, but like, how are you getting access to these places? And if someone was like, I want one of those on my building or my institution, how do they, how do they get that? How do you decide on that? So we actually don't decide. um, And I actually like it this way. I actually like a random, I like it being random. Um, I don't like to bias it, right? So the, the tracker at this point is a completely DIY effort. We provide all the software, all the hardware, all the plans, and we, people come into our community group, purchase the hardware, and we help them set it up so that anybody can come in and purchase wow. the hardware and we will help That's them so deploy cool. and set up their box. So cool. So in the future, we do plan on fabricating um, a system. Um, potentially, we might... Uh, hire a manufacturer to actually assemble the entire box so people can just say, I'll, I'll just drop the money, send me the box type of thing. So we, most of the box, all the boxes we have now are all DIY. But um, hopefully next year we can pursue doing some sort of crowdfunded or Kickstarter, or, um, you know, Indiegogo type thing where we pre-build 100 or 1,000 units and get them shipped out to people. Um, that would really be the end goal, but Yes. I mean, to answer your question, um, people always say, you know, go get one of these out at Skinwalker Ranch or, you know, I know somebody that has a bunch of weird stuff happening to them. I'm like, let's happen. Let's let this happen organically and randomly. Um, like a lot of people want these with, with experiencers. And I'm like, well, I want them with experiencers and people that aren't experiencers because I want to see if the data is different between the two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, that's the interesting thing to me. So if we, I mean, our, I'm sure we're all aware of Skinwalker Ranch, um, but that- We know that, some people. Yeah. So that place has been ext- like extremely scrutinized, right? They've been putting sensors out there and doing research and running around in the middle of the night, scaring each other in the dark. But if I were to do that kind of scrutiny on my property, would I find something weird? I probably would. I'd probably find some weird like atmospheric anomaly from time to time, some weird e- like EMF or RF. So I'm, I'm not fully convinced of Skinwalker Ranch. I want to see comparative data sets to someone, somewhere that's supposedly weird and some, somewhere that's supposedly not weird and, and actually compare. Right. And that's what this gives us. Wow. Yeah. Take a random 500 acres and let's, let's look at it and see if it's any different. So I'm interested in those kind of questions. Yeah, I think that is, I know in the world of parapsychology, 
that is one of the big issues, or it's like one of the foundational questions. The, the, the presence of belief in the experiment, uh, in the, in, and we're talking like the laboratory-based experiments that they've conducted for decades now, and the way it, it tilts the numbers. And you have more, you, you tend to have more results favoring those who go in with the belief. So it would be very interesting to see long-term with the Skyhub project, the, the, the activity that you are getting on the DIY boxes, people who are naming their box. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing like a world where people are personalizing these boxes in such a way, right? Um, and to see if there's a difference and if there is more activity talking in, you know, you can talk about Dr. Stephen Greer in like the consciousness aspect of calling in. That's a little more woo than what we're talking about here because yeah. we're going, we're trying to analyze data. But I wanted to know the if there is a noticeable difference uh, in the data that comes from from the boxes that are constructed by those who are constructing it with belief and those who are just doing it because uh, they want the scientific data and just and are skeptical. Right, that's a good point. Um, I'm really hoping a lot of people were will treat this kind of like a set it and forget it project. Just kind of set it up and let it run and do its thing and leave it alone. Yeah. Don't obsess over it. <laughs> But, uh, you know, people are going to be all over this. It's something new and something unique. And it really is a fun project. And and not just for UFOs. You know, this is a great STEM project. I'd love Mm -hmm. to see, I'd love to see high schools or or middle schools get kids into, into observational science with this platform. Like they learn about embedded systems. They learn about sensors, monitoring the environment. So it's really something that's really neat. So, I mean, if the school is interested about, bird life around the school throw throw the thing up on the roof um watch it monitor the atmosphere and humidity this might be the most grounded uh approach to studying the skies mm-hmm. that i've come across uh or that I've, I've learned about here and i think that really that's something that's extremely unique and is exciting for the potential of moving towards that more serious uh, study and being taken more seriously. And therefore the results from such a grounded study of UAPs ha- already has that credibility built in at a higher level uh, in, in, in many respects. Right. Right. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I look at our platform and I think like all the fun things we can do outside of UFOs, so, I mean, I'm using things like geophones inside of the tracker so I'm, I can actually measure seismic activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could have like a global network of, of seismic sensors and collect that data that's GPS tagged with time and location information. So it's really something um, that you can kind of track the heartbeat of Earth. So that's, that's kind of one interesting aspect. If you get enough of these things across the entire globe, really get a good picture of of what the earth looks like um, from a lot of different aspects. Yeah. So yes, wow. we're going to use it for UAP research, but I think there's a lot to be learned on a lot in a lot of scientific areas. And I hope, you know, and some scientists have acknowledged the value there and, you know, they've luckily jumped in early in the project and gotten involved. You know, 
you mentioned some scientists. I'm curious if, if due to its inherent stigma, if it's been hard for you to find sort of acceptance of this project from mainstream science or even find the right collaborators for this project. So it really hasn't been difficult. Um, I've learned when you do this pitch to scientists in the fir- first five seconds, you need to make it clear this is a UFO project because it's not like you're going to be able to hide that for long, right? <laughs> so you got to get it out there and you got to make a credible pitch, right? Yeah. And I, I think we have a compelling offering. I think we make a good pitch for pursuing this scientifically. Um, we should never be afraid to pursue anything scientifically. Um, we need to be methodical and we need to be skeptical and practice good, healthy scientific skepticism. But um, I think at times it can be a mistake to be too skeptical. Um, but on, on that note, we do need reasons to pursue things, right? We do need some evidence to pursue things. So um, I think we have to find that threshold somewhere so we don't get lost. Yeah. And sometimes you can get lost even in scientific research. Right. Hopefully that's the beauty of the amount of data that you'll be able to collect, right? Like it starts to really paint the picture for you. And I think what's really fascinating about this as well is the potential for researchers of all sorts of uh, sort of paranormal or UAP phenomena, but also uh, more standard uh, geographic sciences and those are things of nature uh, to be able to collect and do something in collaboration with the data that you have available. I mean, what a rich data set this will be for all sorts of scientific investigation. Um, outside of the paranormal, right? I I think it's fascinating. One of the things I'd like to ask you as well is, you know, in addition to the, the really pretty stunning video that you captured from May 27th, what else have you, have you been seeing so far with this? So we, we see lots of interesting things. Um, I've mostly spent most of my time trying to engineer this thing and, and getting it ready for release. So, um, we're like stockpiling videos in on our cloud server at this point. And I've been working out a lot of the machine learning portions and the release. So we do see interesting things in the sky. Um, we don't know exactly what they are, but it's one of those things that we're iterating and improving and trying to, trying to identify those things. One of the primary things that I will be working on um, to include in the next release, we actually have um, a functional ADSB receiver, so we can track all the flight traffic from every tracker. So basically, have little radios that monitor both the UAT and uh, ADSB frequencies. So all the airplanes and helicopters, um, we can monitor around the tracker. So as we're watching stuff in the sky with the video camera, we'll also be tracking flights, and we'll be like, okay, that's no, that's a seven thirty-seven. So we'll be able to eliminate those things. And what's important about that, though, is we can train machine learning models to say that's a plane and tell the model, hey, well, we'll train on that and we'll know what that plane looks like when we see it again. Because sometimes planes can turn off their ADSB receivers. Mm. Um, It's not required by law that every plane has a transceiver in it to broadcast its location. So when we train machine learning models, we can use those to identify the planes that are not broadcasting. Unreal. So, Do you envision a future where you have a, a 
you know, a, a space, a center where there's multiple monitors everywhere, like sort of some, you know, type of crazy UAP control hub? You know, that, that would be fascinating. Um, I really don't know where this is going to lead us because, you know, this is a, um, we've basically personally financed all of this and all the community is like paying for their own hardware and development time. Um, our cloud infrastructure is currently supported by Patreon. So our Patreon members currently cover our cloud costs. So we're hoping as our network scales up, our Patreon members will scale up with that and we'll be a completely community-supported organization. Patrons, That's really do, you, our goal. do you hear this, patrons? <laughs> need some support over there. <laughs> how, Steve, how affordable, like, for the average person, if they wanted to buy the hardware and set up one of these stations, how affordable is it? So I would say you could probably get a bare minimum one for about $300. But what you really want is probably to spend roughly about $600. So the $600 will get you a compute platform. It'll get you the sensors. It'll get you that beautiful enclosure that Richard designed. Um, and it'll get you a high-definition camera to monitor the sky. And that's the, the fisheye that you see on our website. So that um, you could get for roughly $600. And that Crazy includes, affordable, though. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it really is. And... Like I personally have spent way more on mine. Um, you know, I, when it comes to cameras, you really the sky is the limit, right? So if you're a real enthusiast and you got lots of expendable income, you can go drop a two thousand dollar camera, hook it to the system, and and you'll be rolling. So it's we've tried to make this somewhat plug and play and um, support inexpensive hardware and expensive hardware because we want to make it accessible accessible for everyone. So. We've, we've tried really hard to, to keep it uh, a somewhat affordable for people. And for you coming out of the defense industry, right? Because we've heard, you know, Jim's asking like, how have scientists responded to this, right? And when you go to scientists and you go data, 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 and they go, okay, I can get behind data. But coming out of defense, Navy, I, like, I can already see some evil genius and then also some military person being like, the ways that we could weaponize these things. So I'm wondering from that part of your life, what is the response that you're seeing in that regards? So what is the government saying about what we're doing? Yeah, what does the government say? So I I have <laughs> I've heard nothing from the government. So one one little thing that we did for for our members, if you go to our website and you scroll down to the very bottom of the page, we put a, a canary at the bottom. If you're familiar with what that is. No, what is that? So it's a warrant canary. So you can put a blurb on your website that basically says, as of this date, the government has not given us any injunctions, orders, or blah, 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 blah. And if the government ever comes and, and gives you one, then you don't, up, you don't update your, you're like, you take it off the page and people realize it's gone. So they know that the government has intervened. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, interesting. Wow. So, this is very interesting. I'll, po- I'll post it for your users. I, I posted it in the chat there and they can look at the... So we actually have an enthusiast on our team that is a lawyer, um, Adam. Uh, he actually put this on there. He said, you know, you can, you can put this on there saying that we haven't received any national security letters, gag orders, et cetera. And 
essentially people will know if that ever happens. That's really cool. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm so, wondering too, if there's pushback from, you know, let's say everyone who's not the military. Um, and I guess this, because the way you're describing the system and the, the future outlook and the hopes for the global network that is going to be created by this, mm-hmm. are there people who are like citizens or whatever, who are, are you finding pushback? From people who are like, we don't need kind of like in the big brother aspect of, of you know, everything's being watched and mm. all this is connected. And who are these guys or who are these people that are doing it? So we really haven't had that pushback, but people actually should be very mindful of how they deploy this thing. It's not like you want to stick it um, in view of your full house. We recommend putting it on, on your roof or on a platform where you're not in, you know, being recorded and uploaded. Um, obviously, privacy is important. Um, one of the things we plan on do uh, plan on supporting is face blurring and masking people. Um, so detecting people is really easy in machine learning. So um, in a future version, just for the people that put it in view of other people, we want to make sure we just block people out and cut them out of videos. Um, we don't want to be in the business of invading people's privacy. So, I mean, in reality, this is really a sky watching device with a sensor package. Um, so it should really de- be deployed in a in a place where you're looking at the sky and not the side of someone's house or your house. Or, so, and I'm sure at, at times you're right. We're going to have people that point out privacy reasons, um, and my response would be, deploy it responsibly. Don't don't deploy these things where you're going to invade your privacy. Yeah, right. Uh, we have some questions from listeners here. Jay asks. For those of us who aren't as inclined to work with hardware directly, are there any ways we can support the project by running software or servers? So potentially, it it depends on what aspect. Um, I would say jump over to our chat at chat.skyhub.org. And if you want to get involved with the community, um, there's a place for everybody. Whether you're an enthusiast or uh, you just want to throw money at it, you want to write press releases or do you know, web development or documentation or programming, there's a, there's, there's a place for you here. That's so exciting, man. Uh, Andrew asks, curious how well the fisheye camera is able to identify objects that are high altitude. So specifically the fisheye that we're using uh, on the video on skyhub.org, that's actually a 12 megapixel camera. So it's, it's a, it's a relatively large image. Um, more, most security cameras are probably around 1080p or 4K, um, but 12 megapixels um, with with that sensor will let you see uh, probably about 20 mile visibility on a clear mm. day. Mm. Um, and you probably need roughly 10 to 15 pixels to identify an object. So you can see objects from fairly far away with that camera. And the better the better the sensor and the more megapixels, the further you're going to see with more clarity. Wow. It's stunning. It's stunning, man. Um, I suppose, you know, with the impact that we've seen from videos like GoFast, Tic Tac, Gimbal, that came out along with the 2017 New York Times article and the work from TTSA, do you feel like it's possible for Skyhub to potentially collect even more stunning video evidence that moves the needle for the general public even more than those videos did. 
potentially, um, you know, if we get enough of these trackers where, um, like one thing is, is when you, when you're trying to do any sort of, um, intelligence gathering, right. Um, really the beneficial thing is the size of the aperture. Hmm. So one tracker is not that beneficial. 10 is better. A thousand, then you're going to start finding stuff, right? You're really going to cast a wide net. And that's what this really is about. The sky is a really big place. Right. So eventually we're going to catch something high fidelity that we don't understand. And that's the goal, right? We want to catch something with high fidelity, supported by sensor data, backed up by multiple trackers that says, this thing's crystal clear. It's a perfect, you know, crisp video from, you know, five different trackers. And we still have no idea what this thing is. That would be a great position to be in because you have all the data you need and you truly have found something you have no idea what it is. And then that's where the real fun starts. I'm curious if you think that the, the disclosure by the, you know, the Pentagon and the, you know, in the release of the videos uh, in the last two years, right. do you think, because uh, I'm guessing you've been working on this for, this isn't just a project you came up with three months ago. Was that a big breakthrough for moving the needle a little bit for you when it came to trying to get other people on, involved, whether scientists or, or otherwise? Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the whole uh, Nimitz incident and all the information, like everything hitting mainstream media for a period was really beneficial. Like that's what got me into this. Um, I've basically been working on Skyhub and the platform for what it's been six or seven months now, uh, maybe eight months. And uh, since we started this, getting people on board is so much easier because you're right, those videos and that event and the knowledge of that event that the DO did disclose got a lot of people interested in this. And a lot of professionals are now like, okay, I can really pursue this. And you know, people aren't going to criticize me because this is, this is the real deal. I think that's an important point, right? It almost gives people permission to indulge in something they're interested in because its disclosure is given it validity, right? And to me, I can imagine that for many scientists who are like, well, of course we don't know what's fully out there. That would make, like, it would be almost an easier sell than sometimes the private citizen who's like, look, I own a building and I want to keep tenants in here and I don't want people thinking I'm like crazy UFO person. But now this disclosure is allowing me to like pursue these things right. in different ways. Yeah, and you know what? You're even seeing uh, private companies start looking into UFOs. So there's, you know, uh, the obvious one, TTSA, but there's also other companies that are taking this serious. Um, and we've heard reports from the government that they're also... Um, embarking on efforts to to take this further. And there's been government programs where they pursue this. And some people think community might be somewhat anti-government and like anti-defense. But in reality, um, we want everybody working on the problem. Um, I think what people really want is they just want more transparency. Sure. Um, and working in the government, that's difficult sometimes. Um, it's, it's hard to be transparent with the public um, about certain things. Um, I, I definitely don't know why they're not transparent about this. Um, I think the release of their videos was a, a huge step forward um, for the topic. So 
I, I think it's just a matter of time before uh, this really hits mainstream. Right. If it's not already there. Yeah. I mean, personally, what do you feel disclosure looks like for you? You know, that word, that phrase is bandied about and has been forever. But after 2017, what does it, what does it look like now? So I, uh, people talk about disclosure a lot and I'm not even sure what that really means. <laughs> um, right. I personally, my personal perspective is, is I'm not convinced there's actually anything to disclose. So right. I think potentially the government might know a little bit more than the public, but I think they're kind of in a position where potentially they're just like, okay, there's something there and we're not, not quite sure what, right? So um, I'm not convinced anybody really has an explanation for this. So I take the stance that there's, there's, they're not going to disclose answers because no one has any. Right. They probably just have more questions. <laughs> right. So I guess I want to know what questions everybody has. They haven't right. disclosed those questions. But I, right. I really don't think we're going to get answers, right? Because I just, I just don't think anybody has them right now. Well, and disclosure is such an American-centric kind of idea, too, yeah. because we're yeah. so propagated in the idea of like... The aliens come, they're landing on our leader's lawn and they're going to want to talk with our leader in our country. It's like, maybe there's so many other places they could show up. But I think this idea, we have to remember how much it's tied into nationalism. <laughs> so I'm with you, Steve. Like, I think there's a lot of people are like, oh, no, no, we're just, we're just not revealing everything because they don't know. They don't yeah. know. Right. So, <laughs> right. It's, it's funny because everybody views the government as like this, like this well-oiled machine, like this functioning entity where in reality um, it's a disaster. It's just a bunch of random people that just happen to show up to work every day. And we should all just be happy that it hasn't completely collapsed yet. So, <laughs> I mean, like we're, it's just people trying to get stuff done, trying to move the ball forward. Everybody just moving a bunch of different balls in a bunch of different directions. So <laughs> Okay, with, with everything that you're saying, Steve, I just want the listeners to sort of take that in and especially due to where you are from. <laughs> um, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, has, has any of your, you know, sort of naval friends reached out to you and expressed interest in helping out with this or think what you're doing is really cool? Because I think it's interesting that you're from the Navy because the Navy you know, for folks that are following sort of the news stream of this mm -hmm. has been much more involved. Whereas branches like the air force, nothing right. Contemporarily. So what is, what is that relationship like? So it's interesting. And I'll, I'll tackle a few questions here. So yes, I was actually in the Navy during the Nimitz incident, mm. but, and I was in Navy intelligence. I never heard about it. I never wow. heard about it. Mm. So I actually know Kevin Day and Gary Voorhees. So I, I talk to them occasionally. Um, but yeah, um, I even have common Navy friends that, that Gary does. They, you know, we are all, I never knew Gary in the Navy, but I was stationed with a few people that he was stationed with. And even those people that were stationed with him during the Nimitz incident never even told me about it. Wow. So I knew people that were at least on the ship when it happened. Um, they just never talked about it. And um I never heard about it the whole time I was in the Navy. I didn't hear about it until everybody else found out about it. Um, and in regards to the Air Force, it is. It's a very interesting question. Um, 
why has the Navy completely been at the center of all of this? And the Air Force has been completely vacant from that uh, conversation. Um, I don't think that will last for forever. I th- that's my personal opinion. I think at some point as this is, uh, especially the new legislation that came out in regards to the UAP task force and the legislation for UAP reporting, I think eventually we're going to see bits and pieces of, of data come from the Air Force through the UAPTF. It may not be great, but I think it'll probably provide at least an indication that the Air Force is also involved. Yeah. But that's pure speculation. Um, I have right. no good reason to actually think that'll come true. <laughs> right. Fascinating. Well, uh, I'm going to mention to listeners, this is your uh, last chance to hop on and ask any questions. We'll go just a few more minutes here to close it out. And this is your last chance. So go ahead and raise your hand if you want to be involved and we'll get you on. We'd love to hear from you. And one of the last things I I would like to ask you uh, before turning over to Darcy and Ryan is you mentioned a little bit about some of the you know, sort of your own experiences, seeing strange things that you couldn't identify. What were one of those experiences and and did they sort of lend any inspiration into jumping into something like this? So I remember, um, I wouldn't say there's any one event, but I I can recall seeing things in the sky that it's just like, okay, what did I just see? Like, what was that? Um, The interesting thing is, is there's no good way to figure that out, right? but as far as the interest, I just, I'd say I just love science and this is a great science project to pursue. Um, I know other people have had very moving and impactful um, experience, experiences, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, um, right, right. that have really like reshaped people. It's changed their lives um, a lot of the time for the worse. So um, regardless of whether you believe in UFOs, um, people are experiencing something uh, very profound and impactful to them. Um, so I think it's good to understand this in some regard. Um, even if there's not really UFOs, people are experiencing things that are pretty traumatic. So either way you look at it, um, it's something we should definitely research, especially if people are having traumatic experiences they can't explain. Yeah, absolutely. Darcy. I mean, I, I'm so fascinated by this. And I'm like, I'm so excited about this. I'm like, we're all going to get hubs and we're going to put them on our roofs. Like, but it, you know, something that draws to mind um, is the recent documentary that just came out called John Was Trying to Contact Aliens about the man in northern Michigan who was playing music for years and years and years, just trying to reach out, right? And even though it's two different kinds of ideas, it's still kind of what Ryan was talking about, this grounded idea. That's really this idea of like, I just want to, I want to try a thing. We want to try a thing to see how it works and how we can collect data, right? And so what do you, in thinking about that, Steve, what is your overarching hope? for this project. Yes, there's the data. Yes, there's the science. Yes, there's the connectivity. But what is the hope at the heart of all of that for you? So there's a couple things. Um, I love building things. I, I, I legitimately enjoy building this. Um, 
I love science and I, you know, like I don't do science for my job. So I don't do research and I don't do, I, I build things. So this is actually, I, I really love science. So this is a good opportunity to, to actually add to like the scientific body of knowledge um, and enable people to get interested in science. Like I think what if, if I were to make a con- contribution, if I were to, I, I love epistemology. Um, that's mm. like one of my favorite topics, right? So if I can get people to approach things more skeptically um, and be more critical about just everything they do in life, um, that would be a huge success as well. So if I can get people involved in science and uh, approach things more methodically, um, I think that would be good. So getting people involved in science and technology and and those kinds of things is it's fun to see, right? Yeah. So as far as an outcome, I hope people can find answers. I hope I don't um, I don't think I'm going to give them the answer, but I hope the data that uh, Skyhub collects will eventually allow uh, researchers to help shed light on whatever's happening in the skies. So, yeah, hopefully we could be a small, small player in that that bigger process. No, it's going to be so important, and and yeah, critical thinking, right? Wow, yeah. that would be great to have reestablished <laughs> here in the Western world. Yeah. Bring that back. Uh, Ryan, go ahead and, and close out with, with uh, your questions or remarks, my friend. Well, you know, Steve, thanks again for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure to be a part of it. Uh, oh, thank you. This has been really cool stuff. I, I wanted to piggyback off the, uh, the, the questions that were just asked. And... And if you don't mind uh, to put a bow on this, maybe I'm going to ask you to maybe speculate just a little bit. Okay. Um, let's say Skyhub is successful and these UAPs are identified. Okay. What is the big fundamental shift in society? Because, I mean, basically at the heart of this project, is you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think, you know, if you weren't enthused about it and excited about it and like to build things, contribute to the body of knowledge. Now we are talking about potentially one of the biggest discoveries that scientific uh, that science could make, right? Right. Uh, on this is where the speculation comes in about right. you know where these objects or phenomena are coming from. Right. What do you think the shift is in your mind? when the whole world now knows beyond the shadow of a doubt proven by the data that there are UAPs from unknown origins operating here on earth. Hmm. So um, there's a couple things there. So I'll, I'll tackle the first one. So I think the big thing that we could potentially answer is we're not alone, right? So whether it's something that's already here or something that's closer than we realize, or something that's really far away that got here in some means we don't fully understand. Um, so, and who knows? Who, we could be dealing with time travelers. It could be us, or maybe it's time traveling aliens. Who knows? <laughs> but really, fundamentally, we could find out that we're not alone. There could be potentially another intelligence out there um, that's comparable or greater than us. That, that could be out there. And that's, that'd be fascinating. That's world changing. And I think one of the big in, impacts and shifts that we could experience for that, maybe people realize that 
you you know you and I as a species are actually more connected than we realize um like if you look at earth we're rather disjointed we've got all these nations and um some countries are very big into national nationalism right um i think if we were to look and see another intelligence we might look at ourselves and realize that we are more connected than than what we re- really realize and i think it could potentially have a good outcome for people um i would hope it's hard to say how that kind of stuff works out right. but i think i think it would be very grounding for most people to realize that we really are all related to each other and and not that long ago right we we all come from the same lineage and maybe seeing another intelligent species out there people might acknowledge that we are really all connected so yeah maybe there's a good you know something profound that can be learned by you know not being alone in the universe wow well said my friends amazing uh, I, I think it's safe to say that we're all so excited about this project. We're excited to help. I'm excited to, you know, as soon as I move into the, this new house, instead of focusing on things I probably should, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be installing one of these on the garage roof. So <laughs> yeah. if anybody wants one, just, just come hit me up, check out skyhub.org or chat at skyhub.org and we'll help you guys get started and yeah, we want to get the, as many of these things out there as possible and make sure to go check out our Patreon and keep this boat chugging. Fantastic. Thank you so much, my friend. We we appreciate you spending some time with us tonight. Look forward to being in touch and, and pushing this thing along with you. Definitely. Ryan Singer, uh, where can people find you? Not like uh, most people here don't already know, but uh, let us know anyway. Uh, you can find me at uh, ryansingercomedy.com. You can find me on Instagram at rising, R-Y-S-I-N-G. That's got links to pretty much everything and me and Paranormal You. And also, this is where the magic happens. You can find, I'm, you know, Pandora, Spotify, listen to my comedy albums. Uh, you know, put those fractions of pennies in my pocket, baby. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Pleasure. Ding, ding. And Darcy. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Darcy Staniforth both. So come find me. Hell yeah. Thank you so much, everyone. This was a fantastic conversation. I'm spinning. I'm probably going to have to go for a run through the darkness tonight or something to just wind down. And I think, you know, I ran out of the coffee you gave me, Darcy. I've already drank it all. And uh, I ordered a decaf. I don't think it is. So tonight's going to be fun. I'm going to need to get that new address from you, Jim, and we need to ship you some more. So I know it. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Darcy. Thank you, Steve, so much for being our guest. And thank you, guys, for having me. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for your service as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. Have a good night, everybody. Love you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Night Drift. Thank you again to our guests, Steve McDaniel and panelists, Ryan Singer and Darcy Staniforth. For more information about Skyhub, look for links in the show notes. To be a part of our next live Zoom interview, join us at patreon.com slash euphemet. And remember, subscribe to Night Drift's new feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Music on the show tonight by Magic Sword and Soons, courtesy of Joyful Noise, a record label curating adventurous music from a plethora of amazing exploratory artists. Find links in the show notes. 
And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Anchor.fm. This edition has been edited by Kyle Gilmer of Residual Audio. For everything Night Drift and Euphemet, merch and links to our social media, visit euphemet.com. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Perry. And until Thursday, March 11th, keep looking up. Follow the show on social media at Euphemet, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T.